Hey, uh, last time we got together, we started to examine the, um, the problem of fear, and uh, quickly, I think, we realized that it truly is a problem. There are those who would have us believe that there is nothing to fear but fear itself. And uh, there's also those who would have us to believe, like the advertising campaign, such as No Fear, that uh, there is absolutely nothing to fear. And uh, so as we've gone through this, we've been led to believe that fear is wrong, and as a result, it affects the way that we think about certain things. Yet the Bible teaches that fear is both right and wrong, and uh, therein lies the problem. Uh, fear can be a negative factor in our life. It can immobilize us. It can terrorize us. It could create dread in our life, and it can extinguish the joy of living. <clears throat> if you've ever been afraid of something, you know exactly what I mean. It can immobilize us to the point where we're afraid to make a move one way or the other for fear of being wrong. And it's interesting, you know, working with kids and working in, in athletics, uh, you can pick up on that real quick when you, when you see a, a kid who's afraid to uh, make the extra effort to try to make the play and he's content as an outfielder to let the ball drop in front of him because he's afraid that it might bounce over his head or afraid that if he tries to catch it, he may drop it. And there's different ways that that's illustrated, but basically that fear immobilizes the person from reaching their fullest potential that God has given them. And as we look at this, you know, fear can be a very devastating thing in our life, yet it can also be a very positive and beneficial experience. You know, fear is negative, and it can also be a very positive thing. And, uh, you know, I was going through this trying to come up with the difference between the two, and um, if, if you think about it, you know, fear can cause us to do the right thing. Fear of the consequences of getting caught doing something that's wrong could cause us to do that which is right. Um, fear can challenge us and motivate us. If you're afraid to lose your job because you're not giving 100% and there's somebody always around the corner that wants to take your place, fear can not only immobilize you, but it can also motivate you to do the best job that you can possibly do. So it doesn't have to be a negative thing. You know, fear of consequences or fear, fear of, uh, for example, you know, being, being afraid of something that can hurt you. Being afraid of snakes or being afraid of getting hit by a car running out into the street. Being afraid of abusive people and not wanting to put yourself into a position of being harmed. Those are all positive things. And so what we need to understand is not always is fear a bad thing. It could be a very good thing in our life. And in fact, if we don't fear that which we're supposed to fear, it could be deadly. Think about it in our society. The, the lack of fear of the consequences of wrong sexual behavior that leads to AIDS and other diseases, not having a fear of that, could lead to death. You know, I, it was, how many you saw in the LA Times yesterday, the front, front page, and uh, they showed a picture of the flood back in the Midwest, and they've got this guy's house in the middle of the flood, and the flood is encircling this house, and he took sandbags, and on, with sandbags he wrote on the roof of the house, no fear. And I like that for, to some degree, um, but you've got to understand the caption. It says, a homeowner in St. Charles, Missouri, expresses defiant feelings about the swelling floodwaters by raging some sandbags on his roof. No fear. And we look at that and we admire that. But the next question you've got to ask is, do you think he's going to leave before the water covers up his house? <clears throat> you know, it's something to consider. Because I remember a movie that was made not long ago about Mount St. Helens, about an old man that lived at the base of the mountain. He said, no blasted volcano is going to scare me out of my house. No, it's going to blast you out of your house. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and in defiance, he wouldn't leave. And he died as a result of it. See, so you know, there's a fine line between being afraid of something that immobilizes us and being afraid of something that would motivate us. 
And uh, so fear really is a problem. And uh, as we go through this, I hope to try to give some, some type of clarity and understanding on the difference between the two. But one of the questions that you've got to ask yourself that I ask myself is very simply this. Is the fear that I'm experiencing in my life, is that fear a positive or a negative factor in my life? Is it something that I look at with dread and it immobilizes me and it steals the joy of living out of my life? Or is it something that motivates me and causes me to do the best I could possibly do under the circumstances in which I find myself? And that really is the question that you've got to ask yourself. Is it good or is it bad? Is it positive or is it negative? Is it healthy or is it unhealthy? Is, basically, is it right <clears throat> before God or is it wrong? And so we started to take a look first at those things that are wrong because it helped us to understand the things that are right. But the bottom line is much fear that's addressed in the Bible is a fear that's a result of not trusting God. It's a result of not trusting God. It's a fear that finds itself uh, encompassed in circumstances in life where we decide that we're not going to trust God in that situation any longer. And so we begin to fear and dread it. It terrorizes us. It immobilizes us. And it steals the joy out of living. We saw the fear of evil could do that. The fear of evil. One of the things that, that uh, we need to make sure that we all understand that the Christian must realize that God is in control. And what is meant as evil by the world in which we live in, God always uses for good. Probably the best example of that in the Bible is found in the book of Genesis, a guy named Joseph, whose brother sold him into slavery. And, uh, and then they later made a play about him, and it was showing at the Pantages through June. But... <clears throat> But they made a play about his life. But basically, the bottom line was his brothers were, were envious and jealous of, of his position in the family, and they sold him into slavery, and he went into Egypt. And later on, make a long story short, God had used that circumstance and, and elevated him to second in control of all the land of Egypt during a time of famine. And his brothers were brought before him, and he said to them, and he looked straight at him and said, Listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. They couldn't take, they couldn't take uh, any credit for what happened. What they meant was wrong. What they meant was evil. And it was wrong that they did what they did before God. But God is greater than the evil in, which, in the world in which we live. It's greater than the evil which wants to uh, somehow or another harm us in our life. And we must never forget as Christians that what the world means for evil, and while the world wants to attack and destroy us, and don't forget, Jesus said it's going to because they're going to kill me. Why in the world do you think they're going to like you? The bottom line is that what the world means for evil, God is certainly greater than that and can use it for good. And he does cause all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. God can use evil for his purposes, and he does. And it's obvious that he does. So we need to understand that. We need to recognize it. We should never be afraid of evil as God's people because God can turn anything and turn it around and make something good out of it. And we need to trust him. Number two is we also shouldn't fear an enemy. And that's close and it, and it's, and it goes, excuse me, goes hand in hand. <clears throat> but don't be surprised, again, as I said, if the world hates you. And it will. And as you stand up in the areas that God has put you in, whether it's in your business, on a team, whether it's in a neighborhood, whether it's in a community, wherever it is that you find yourself and God has placed you in that environment and you take a stand for Jesus Christ and you take a stand for what's right, you know, as far as the Bible is concerned, don't be surprised if the world hates you for it. They're not going to applaud you. and not going to say, oh, great, thank you very much. I'm glad you called me on that because I was just so wrong. May I repent from that and turn from my wicked ways. Don't expect that. It's great when that happens, but that's a, you know, that's a bonus. 
Trust me, that's not the, the normal reaction. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. David said it. He goes, protect me from the fear of my enemy. It's interesting he didn't say protect me from my enemy. He just said protect me from the fear of my enemy. Protect me so that I don't dread my enemy to the point where he immobilizes me to where I don't enjoy life anymore. But protect me from the fear of my enemy. It's a totally different thing. We all pray, protect me from my enemy, God. And a prayer should be, protect me from fearing my enemy. Because I have them, and they're out there. But protect me that I would fear them to the point where I don't trust you anymore. The third point, and the one I want to spend a little bit of time on, because it's the one that affects every one of us more so than the other two at times, and that is the fear of man. And it hits home. Proverbs 29, 25, we read this. The fear of man brings a snare or a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man brings a snare or a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. You know, we started to take a look at this, and uh, I think to make it more personal, we need to ask ourselves some very personal questions. And that is, there are people in our life that God has allowed to be in our life and oftentimes places them directly in our path. And it's a test or challenge to see if we're going to trust God in an area of life. And the question that you've got to ask yourself, and I think of guys that go away to college or I think of people that are not under the same umbrella that they were at some time and they experience a, a certain amount of freedom, I think of some of us in the businesses that we're in, um, you know, away from this particular setting, and we're out there, and, and we're in the world, and we're not of it, but yet we're challenged by it. And uh, I think of the, the, you know, the dating situation of people that are in high school or college, and they're dating and are around friends and others, or pressured by somebody that they're going out with. And you can't help but ask the question, you know, when you're in that type of environment, uh, is there a certain fear that comes along with being out there on your own, at least perceived to be out there on our own? And we always got to remember that God is with us, and that's really the point here. Do we fear man or do we trust God? And that's really the two options. And you got to ask yourself a question, am I intimidated to the point where I compromise who I am as a believer because of wanting to be accepted by people around me? I think of the dangerous situation in dating relationships where one person forces another person into doing something by threat of, well, then, you know what, maybe this relationship isn't going to work out unless you do this, 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 and this. And there's a certain amount of pressure that goes along with that. And there's a fear of losing that relationship that makes a person tend to want to compromise to make sure that's true. Same with the working situation. If you don't do this, 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 and this, you know, you, we might not have a place for you here anymore at our office. So, you know, I was just kind of wondering, are you going to go along with the program or are you going to cause us to make some difficult decisions? And what they're doing is they're trying to instill a certain fear of consequences of not conforming to certain behavior. And we all, fa we all face that and we're all challenged by that. And we've got to ask ourselves some questions. Do I fear God or do I fear man? Do I fear man to the point where I'm going to compromise my convictions and standing upon, who, upon whom I've got to trust? And these are very real examples that every one of us have to face on a daily basis. And, uh, and people can be intimidating. Just the sight of certain people can be intimidating. And uh, I want to share an example with you, and you can turn with me in your Bible to Numbers chapter 14. But I want to give you an example from my own life. And I also got a, a call from a friend last night, and I'm going to use it as an illustration because he certainly can identify with what I'm talking about. But in Numbers chapter 14, we see a situation that uh, addresses exactly what we're talking about. You know, do you, do you go along with the pressure of the group, or do you trust God and do what he says to do? And um, we're all, we've all got to struggle with this. And I, and I think about this example because as a, from a personal standpoint, let me give you an illustration. If you would ever walk into 
a locker room, particularly in the, in the National Football League, you would see some of the biggest, meanest people that you've ever seen on the face of the earth. I mean, there are some guys that are just plain huge, and they're physically intimidating to look at them. Now, if you couple that with knowing what's going on in their life, because they've got people around them that know what's going on, and they kind of feed me information, not purposely running up to me saying, this is what's going on, but you just know what's going on, right? So you take that and you mix it with, these guys are huge, I know what's going on, and I also know what I'm there to do. And I've got to challenge them and confront them in areas where they're wrong before God and teach the Bible. And if you're intimidated by that, what tends to happen is you water things down a little bit. Because I know you're doing exactly what the Bible says not to do. Now, how am I going to make this more palatable to you? Or I should be like this. How am I going to make this <laughs> more palatable to you? And I got a problem here. And I'm struggling with, I know what's going on. I know what the Bible says. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know that's why God has me there. What am I going to do? Am I going to fear man and be intimidated by man? Or am I going to be true to God and do what's the right thing to do? And so there's some real discernment that has to take place and discretion as to how you approach these things. But I know this, and I'm convinced what I've already shared with you, that the Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to judge thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's able to separate bone from marrow. That if you teach the Word of God and you're true to the context, then God will use it and it will change hearts. I'm convinced of that. And so when we understand that everything in the Word is profitable for the person that hears it, that the Word doesn't go out and come back empty, then we can stand in confidence and realize, I know what I'm about to say is a real risky thing. And it could be personally endangering my own particular situation. And if I upset enough people by being true to the Word, then they may never have me come back again. But then I've got to realize that that's the only reason I'm there is because God's got me there. And if I'm there and it's all watered down, then I shouldn't be there anyway and I'm just deceiving myself. So I don't have a choice, right? So you just teach the truth. Why? Because the truth sets you free. And if I love and care about the people that I'm there to minister to, I've got to teach the truth. I know they don't want to hear it. Just like you don't want to hear a lot of things that I say. And just like when I study it, I don't even want to hear it myself. You know what I mean? Amen. Yeah, I hear you there. But So this is what we all struggle with. We all struggle with, are we going to be intimidated by people because we know what we're about to tell them they don't want to hear. And we struggle with all this. Why? Because we want them to like us. I don't know. We want them to, to accept us. You know, you got your own reasons. I got my things I struggle with. But here's an example of it. Numbers chapter 14. It says this, the scoop is Caleb and Joshua were sent out with ten other men, the twelve spies. They go into the land that God says, hey, this is the land. I promised you to go after it. Here it is. They go and they check it out, man. They got some of the best stuff going on there that you'd ever see. I mean, guys are carrying on, on, on poles, you know, big old poles, grapes, you know, that are hanging from these poles. They're carrying pomegranates and grapes that are so huge that they have to have two people carrying out a cluster of them at a time. This stuff is unbelievable. It's a bountiful land. God said, this is the land I promised you, flowing milk and honey. This is everything that you wanted. This is everything I promised you. You've been walking around in the wilderness. You've been drinking water out of a rock that I gave you. You've been eating these stupid birds that you wanted. I mean, this is what you've been going through for 40 years. And now it's time to go in and, and get everything that I promised you. Now there it is. Go check it out. Check out the people. Go head back. Let them know what's going on. So they come back, and this is what they say. All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. They were just so happy. No, they weren't. 
they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, It would be better that we died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in the wilderness. Why? Because what happened was the 12 spies come back. Ten of them say, you know what? It was the greatest thing we ever saw. There's so much food. There's so much land. Everything is great. But they're the biggest, meanest people I ever saw living in this land. And that stinking smash us like little gnats. Caleb and Joshua. Yeah, but God promised it. Let's just go get it. Trust God, fear man. There's a contradiction. There's the paradox. What are you going to do? So they're faced with it. Said in, in, in verse 3, And why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder, plunder or flunder or whatever. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Said, so they said to another, Let us appoint a leader, and we're going back to Egypt. Oh, yeah, back to Egypt. We really liked it there. Remember, that was a good time. Love those leeks and onions. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. And Joseph and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, But the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that does flow with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey." Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And look what they said. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting to all the sons of Israel. You know what God said? He said, how long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I performed in their midst? You see what the real challenge is here? They had two choices. Trust God, fear man. And you know what happened? When they forgot to trust God and they feared man, God was angry with what they did. And he said, you know what? How long are you going to be rebellious? And I got to ask myself the same question. Chuck, how long are you going to be rebellious before God? How long is it going to take before you realize what he's done in your life? How long is it going to be before you trust him in every area of your life? Why in the world do you think you can handle anything yourself? How long is it going to take? What does he have to do to demonstrate that he is trustworthy? To demonstrate that he is faithful? And I've got to ask you the same question. In the situation that you're in where you're afraid of another person, how long is it going to take before you finally realize that God is trustworthy? Before you realize that the person that's in your path is an obstacle that was placed in your path by God as a test or a challenge to see if you really trust God. See, I said last time we got together, we're all, we all say, oh, yeah, we trust God. But we don't really know that we do until that trust or that test is placed before us. So that obstacle is there. Until we're alone in a situation and we're intimidated by people around us, and yet we, we, we dig in and we say, okay, God, I'm hunkering down and I'm trusting you and I'm all alone. But you know what? Me and you make a great big majority. Because with God, I can do anything. With God, all things are possible. And I don't care how many people circle against me. And that's really what David discovered in his life. What's it going to take before you realize, you know what? You don't have to be intimidated by any person on the face of the earth to do something that's wrong before God. If you lose a job, God will get you another job. If you lose a relationship based on the kind of relationship that wasn't right before God, you haven't lost anything, but you've gained everything. You've saved yourself years of misery downstream by trusting God. 
What's it going to take to realize that we don't have to be afraid of people? To stand on the convictions and the promises of God. What a wonderful thing that is. I, I told you an illustration. A friend of mine called last night, and he was a, the judge of a race. It was a, a soapbox derby race. All right? And, and he called me because he, he's recognized that, that I had some situations with Little League that maybe could shed some light on what he was going through. And it had to do with rules and regulations and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, make a long story short, this particular man uh, and, and his son won the, a race. And the way that the structure, the way it's structured is, after the race is over, you examine the car to make sure that the car conforms to the standards and the rules and the regulations that are laid out by that particular industry, um, and that everything is the way it was supposed to be. Well, this guy won the race. It was a regional race that they were going to go to the finals in Akron, Ohio. So they won the race. But then when they examined the car, they realized that there was several violations, and there were six of them on a committee. One of them was the guy who called me. At first, he was the only one that said, well, wait a minute, after examining the car, they've done everything to violate the spirit of the competition. We have to disqualify him. The other five guys said, we're not going to disqualify him. You tell him. I mean, you got a guy who just won a race. They're going to the national finals, and they're all excited about it. You know, you tell him. Well, I will if I have to, but let's take a look at this for a second. Why, why aren't you in agreement? So as they proceeded and they went through everything that was there, all the, all the things that were violated, all the rules and regulations that were violated, all of a sudden, five of them said, we've got to disqualify him, and one guy held out. Because it was, you know, it was kind of like the old, well, he's one of us, you know, he's my friend, we've been doing this for a long time, let's overlook this. You know how that is, right? So there's five of them, they disqualify the guy. And you know what the guy said? Thank you very much from, from, for disqualifying me. You, you've, you've prevented me from teaching my child just a dangerous lesson in life. You've kept me from being embarrassed on a national level. And I thank you very much for upholding the rules and the regulations. <laughs> of this organization. You are truly to be admired. How many of you believe they said that? <laughs> nah. -uh. This guy went nuts. He went, as they say, ballistic. He went crazy. Screaming, yelling, accusing, doing everything you can imagine. Why? Because he got caught. And I thought, you know what's really interesting, isn't it? That uh, the easiest thing to do would have been just to overlook it. Hey, let the national people make this call. He won, overlook it, send him away. We don't have to deal with it, right? And you know what? I was wondering last year when this Filipino team won the, the World Series in Little League. Let me ask you a stupid question. How many people do you think turned their backs from the Philippines all the way to Williamsport, Pennsylvania? Exactly. Do you realize how many games you have to win to get to the finals? There's 10,000 teams in Little League that compete, and they narrow it down to two teams over a six-week period of time. Every stop along the way, there were people that didn't uphold the rules because they didn't want to have to do what was right. Why? Because they feared man. They didn't want to have to take the heat at that particular moment. And so you know what happened? A whole nation, a whole country was embarrassed because they didn't police their own, because they didn't do what was right. It became an international incident instead of being confined to a local situation. The very first game that they played... It should have been brought to someone's attention, and it should have been dealt with, and it would have saved. You know what? I hate to say it's being from California, but Long Beach didn't win anything because there were probably 20 teams that lost to the Filipino team that never made it to the next round because they lost. 
And so we don't really know who they would have played. And what's the point? The point of all is very simple. There are times in life where we are challenged to either do what's right before God or to fold, bend the rules, and to lie, cheat, and steal because we don't want to experience the heat of doing what's right at that particular moment. And let me tell you something. You've got a choice of either fearing man, all right, and doing what they want you to do at that moment, and then you know what? Then you've got to live with it the rest of your life. Or you can fear God and do what's right then and never have to think about it again. Man, you can, get, you can get up every day, look in the mirror, and know, God, I did what was right before you, and I never have to worry about what I should have done because I did what I was supposed to do. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it be wonderful for all of us to get to the point of saying, you know what, I think I'll fear God this morning and do what's right rather than fear man and do what's wrong and live with the consequences all of my life. I'll just fear God today. I'll take the heat today, and maybe it'll last a week, maybe it'll last two weeks, but I know that it's not going to be anything internal that i got to deal with, that it's going to come externally, and once it blows over, then I've done what's right, and I don't have to live with turmoil the rest of my life. What a great thing that is. And it's real easy to do if you're committed to do the right thing. But sometimes we're not because we're afraid. And that's why we've got to go back to Scripture, just like Caleb and Joshua. You know what? If the Lord's with us, who can be against us? If I'm doing what's right before God, then the whole world could be against me, but it's not going to overcome me because greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. I can trust God. I'm fully confident that if I continue to do what's right, I have nothing to fear from man. In Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel, a teacher, told the, the, uh, the Sanhedrin, he said to him, you know what, if what's going on around us is of God, there's nothing we're going to do to stop it. There's nothing we're going to do to stop it. We better take a good hard look at what's going on and recognize whether it's from the hand of God or the hand of these men. If it's from men, it'll pass with time. But it's of God, it'll last for eternity. What a wonderful truth. See, we don't really know if we're trusting the Lord until he puts people in our path to test our faith. And the comforting thing in knowing as we studied scripture to tell my friend last night on the phone was, you know what, what a wonderful thing that is. Because he said, you know what, when I first got into this, I had set some, I had set some guidelines of what I was going to be if I was ever a judge or an inspector in any contest. And I had laid out the rules that I was going to follow to the letter of, and the intent of the law. And I was going to uphold those rules. That was my responsibility before God and that was the right thing to do. And let me tell you something, you know, he did what he was, he was supposed to do. But he, he hoped and he wished that he never would have had to make that decision. But the only th way he knew that he would stand on the convictions was they were challenged. And the other thing I told him, I said, you know what's interesting? This same guy who cheated, if he would have been beat by somebody else who cheated, don't you think he would have been in your face making you disqualify the guy who did what was wrong? Absolutely, you better believe it. And that's just the way it is, and that's why it's, the important thing is to do what's right. Fear of evil, fear of enemy, fear of man. And here's a, a fourth fear, and it's a fear that can terrorize any one of us. It can immobilize us from enjoying life, and that's a fear of death. Some of us are deathly afraid of dying. We're afraid to die. Well, you know what? The way I see it, and if I understand it correctly, the chances are like one in one. You know, if I was a betting man, that would be a pretty good one to take, so, so, you know, a bet, right? One in one. The chances of every one of us, every, every one of you that I look at, you're going to die. I am going to die. Sometimes I do it slowly every Sunday uh, when I'm here. You know, just bits and pieces of my life, just a road right before your eyes. You don't even see it. But you're going to die. I am going to die unless Jesus Christ comes back first and you know him as your personal Savior. That's the only out of that program. You are going to die. I am going to die. 
And here's the problem. Fear of death will rob you of the joy of living. Now, I tried to write this down so I didn't get confused. But I was thinking, what a shame it would be to one day die after worrying about dying all your life and to have never enjoyed living because of it. You think you follow that? One guy did. Good. Well, can, you can maybe get together with everybody else afterwards and explain it to him. Did you hear what I said? Wouldn't it be a shame to live your whole life afraid to die, even though you're going to, it's inevitable, and you do die, and you never enjoyed life because you were afraid to die, and you're going to die anyway? Duh. So what's the option here? Enjoy your life knowing you're going to die. You say, but how can you do that? That's a good question. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll take a look at something. Hebrews chapter 4. This is for every person who's afraid to live life because they're afraid they're going to die. If you think about this for a minute, you know what? The way I see it is every Christian should, I mean, Christians should lead the way in living life to the fullest. Because the thing that holds the world back is fear of failure, fear of doing something wrong, fear of what people think about you, fear of death. That holds the world back. I mean, it should be something that doesn't hold us back at all. Because the worst, what's the worst thing that can happen to you if you tried to do something, you know, that you were challenging your... The worst thing that happened is what? That you die. Is that so bad? Now, don't take this fatalistic, but you know what? I mean, I look at this and say, man... Hebrews 2, look at uh, 14 and 15. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, speaking of Jesus Christ, also partook the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You follow this? Saying Jesus took on flesh like us so that he would render powerless him, speaking of Satan, who had the power over death, and he no longer does because Jesus raised from the dead. So he took on flesh and blood like us so he could render powerless the the power of death and him who had the power over death, speaking of Satan. And what he's saying is that the reason that he did it was so that we wouldn't be afraid of dying. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ raised from the dead, and he was the first fruit of those who would be raised after him, speaking of those who put their faith and trust in Christ. I have full confidence, based on the word of God, that I will raise from the dead because the Bible teaches that. Job understood it. He said, as for me, I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last, I will see him, and I will take my place with him, and I'll see him through his flesh. In John chapter 11, he said the same thing to Mary when she was talking about Lazarus. I know that he'll be raised on the last day. Absolutely correct. He will be raised from the dead. Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If I check out right now here in front of you, I'm confident the angels of God are going to come and take me into the presence of God. That's what the Bible teaches. And all you'll be left with is figuring out what to do with the, the lump that's left here laying on the podium. And, you know, and have a good time. Figure out whatever you want. Because it doesn't matter to me because one day we'll all be raised with him. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, think about the promises that are made in the Bible. And so as we think about the fear of death, my question for you is, what are you afraid of? Death is the greatest, it's, a, it's the greatest reward for any person who's put their faith and trust in Christ. When I am absent from my body, I'll be present with the Lord. There's an appointed time for man to die, and then comes judgment, meaning this. The day that I die is the day that I'll get in to see the God who created me. I mean, we get excited about getting on somebody's calendar. Oh, so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so got me on the calendar for Thursday, and I get in there, and I get to see him for an hour. Big deal. 
The way I look at it is, hey, the God who created me got me on his daytimer for a certain day. He just hasn't told me when because I probably mess everything up trying to plan on how to get there right. And uh, so he just doesn't tell me. And he just says, the day you're appointed, you're going to show up before me. And he's not going to be surprised by it at all. And I don't just get to spend an hour with him. I get to spend eternity with him. I'm not too bummed about that. I don't know about you, but I'm not afraid to die, not because I'm cocky or arrogant or that I don't have anything worth living for, because Paul said the same thing. He goes, man, you know what? I really want to go home to be with the Lord, but for your sake, I want to stick around. So selfishly, for my wife, for my kids, for my friends, for people that are close to me, I don't really want to go anywhere yet. But if it's my time to go, I'm going to go because it's appointed, so I can't change that anyway. And there's no sense living in fear of death and terrorized, terrorized over death or immobilized over death or not experiencing the abundant life that Christ came to give me because I'm afraid to die. What in the world would I be afraid of when that's a reward for living a life and trusting in Christ? Some of you are afraid of getting old. You know what? Give it up, man. Look at you. <laughs> what in the world are you trying to do? You know, we're all afraid of being old, man, big deal. So what? We all get old, you know. Getting old is just another sign that we're on our way out. Think about it. Every day you get old, you see another gray hair, you see another wrinkle, you see something else falling to where it used to not be and down to a place where it is now. Every time you stand in front of the mirror and you see all this happening before you, you just recognize, you know what? Hey, this is God's telling me that I'm on my way out. All right? Now, if that scares you, then you need to really examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you better be afraid of dying. You know what I'm saying? Because you're on your way to hell, and you're going there nonstop. Don't pass gold. Don't collect 200 bucks. You're just going straight there. And the thing we need to understand is, is that fear of death is reserved for those who do not know Jesus Christ. And we're enslaved, enslaved to it until we recognize that Jesus Christ abolished death and set us free. So if you're afraid to die, and most people in the world should be because they don't know Christ as their Savior then you need to turn to Jesus Christ to ask him to forgive you for your sins and trust in the fact that he died for you. And then you'll be set free from the fear of death. What a wonderful thing that is. The last one is the fear of sharing the gospel. Is the fear of sharing the gospel. Probably the most costly and tragic of all the fears that are condemned before God is the fear of sharing the gospel with people around us. And you know why it's the most tragic of them all? Because of what I just shared with you. Your friends, your family, your neighborhood, your community, your co-workers, your, your fellow teammates are on their way to hell until they trust in Jesus Christ. And the only way that they'll have the opportunity to do that is that God has entrusted to those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior the truth that can set people free. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but through me. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know that truth. And that truth that God has imparted and entrusted to you is the only truth that will set people free from the consequences of sin and death. And that's a place called hell. One of the most tragic things about being afraid of people is to be afraid to share the gospel with them. The only thing that can set them free. Why? I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you won't do business with them anymore. Uh, maybe they won't like you anymore. Maybe they'll think you're a Jesus freak. Maybe they'll think you're a religious fanatic. Maybe they'll think, I don't know, what have you been afraid of? I mean, these are things I wrote down and things that, that I struggle with at different times in my life. Maybe they'll think I'm just too pushy. Maybe it's too fast, too soon. Maybe I haven't become friends with them yet to where they'll listen to what I have to say. Uh, you know what? I don't know. I'm afraid to share it with them because of all these things. Uh, you know, maybe they'll make fun of me. Maybe they'll ridicule me. And here's the worst thing of all. Maybe they won't be friends with me anymore. 
You know what the most tragic of them all is? Maybe I'll have to take a stand and stop living a life of hypocrisy because people will know that I'm a Christian. A friend that called me last night said, you know what? He said one of the toughest things that I realized after I did what, what was right was the fact that all these people knew that I was a Christian. So what a sad thing it would have been if you would have looked the other way. And what a tragedy it would have been for your testimony before the world of a person who's got convictions and standards and morals and ethics and values and that would stand up for what's right no matter what the cost. What a tragedy it would have been and what respect you would have lost before all these people because they knew you were no different than anybody else and that you buckled under the peer pressure. And yet what a solid testimony it is when you said, you know what, I'll take the heat. I'll, I'll experience the consequences of doing the right thing because I'd rather do what's right before God than do what's wrong before men. To be appreciated by men, I want to be appreciated by God. What a tragedy it is when we don't share the gospel with people around us because we're just plain scared to do it. And I want to close on a, with a passage from 2 Timothy. And I want to remind you, as I need to remind myself, <clears throat> there's nothing more important in life. No matter where you find yourself, where God has you, He's placed you there with the express purpose of being a light in that environment, of being entrusted with the Word of God and the truth of God to be able to share with people around you, whether it's your friends at school, whether it's friends on a team, whether it's co-workers in business, whether it's your friends or family in a community or in a neighborhood. God has placed those people in your life and has given you the information that can set them free from spending an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And yet we also struggle with fear. All the fears that we talked about. In 2 Timothy, Paul realized that this man Timothy was a man who also would be like us and he would struggle with being afraid. Afraid to stand up for what's right. Afraid to tell the truth. Afraid to, you know, to, to be ridiculed or scorned. Or in his case, Paul was on his way to die. And he was in the Mamertine prison in Rome. And he wrote this to him. And he realized that there would be fear of persecution. And he realized this young man, Timothy, would have to understand that that's part of the program. That's the way it works and that God's got it under control. But what he was trying to tell him was, listen, you know what? They're going to put me to death and you're going to be afraid because of it. Because you're going to be afraid the same thing's going to happen to you. So I want to write this word of encouragement to you and how sad it is that we would have anything to fear because none of us would ever be put to death for sharing our faith with another person. What, a, what, a, what, a, I mean, what an insult before God. You know, we all need to ask God to forgive us for that. Because there's people all over the world that are put to death for sharing what they're supposed to share. And we're just afraid, afraid of, of being accepted. Man. But here it is in 2 Timothy <clears throat> chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, and we'll close on this. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and of discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason I also suffer these things, for I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What a wonderful word of encouragement 
Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. May we never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the only thing that can set us free from the bondage and the slavery of death. It's the only thing that can set us free from fear, fear that we shouldn't have, fear of evil, fear of the enemy, fear of man, fear of death, fear of, of sharing the gospel. See, he said, I didn't give you a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give it abundantly. And I'm just afraid that many of us have lost the joy of living because we're afraid in areas where God has abolished that fear through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to trust in him and stop being afraid in the world in which we live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to take a look at a subject that obviously affects every one of us. We've all been afraid at different times and for different reasons in our life. God, help us to be men and women like my friend who would take a stand and, and stand on convictions, knowing that it's not easy, knowing that it won't be applauded by the world and that we'll suffer persecution. But God, may we all realize that it's better to take the heat from the world for a few days than to have to live with the compromise in our own heart for the rest of our lives. God, help us to be men and women who want to do what's right before you today and not fear men. God, we just thank you that you've abolished through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection the fear of death. We're no longer slaves to death. We can enjoy life to its fullest knowing that the day that we die is a day that's appointed throughout all of eternity when we'll come face to face with you. And God, what a wonderful day that's, that it is. God, give us the freedom to live life as you meant it to be lived fully and abundantly, joyously, and with a peace of heart that only you can give us. God, and I just pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and are afraid in every area of life that we've mentioned, particularly the fear of death, that that fear of death will terrorize them throughout their life until they bow their knee to you, so they accept Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for their sins, because you can only set us free from the fear of death. You can only give us the peace that comes that's beyond all comprehension and understanding. You can only, through Jesus Christ, give us peace with God. And we just thank you and praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen.